0: Okay, we're going chapter by chapter through the Bible, and we're all the way in Isaiah chapter 31, Isaiah chapter 31. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We need it, Lord. And Father, we, we just want to trust in you, Lord. And Lord, these next few chapters just have a lot to say about that. How we gravitate, Lord, towards trusting in man. And Father, that's such folly, as your word makes clear, And, Lord, we want to be examples of a people who trust, who trust in you, who exercise faith and not human strength, Lord. Father, by your Spirit, please speak to us. We want to change. We want to stay on the potter's wheel. We don't want to run off it. Lord, we're... The clay, you're the potter, form, fashion us, and break us if necessary, Lord. We ask that you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last time we were a couple weeks ago in Isaiah uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 30, the theme there is similar. Chapter 31 is really picking up on uh, where chapter 30 left left off. Begins, woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. I'm speaking now from verse 1 of chapter 30. Who take counsel, but not of me. Who devise plans, but not of my spirit. That they may add sin to sin. Who walk to go down to Egypt. And have not asked me for my advice. And so chapter 31 picks up. That's the same theme, serious issue that we see really throughout the prophetic word going back to Egypt. Verse uh, verse, 1 of chapter 31, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord? Throughout the uh, Bible, really, Egypt is a type of the world. When you see Egypt or a reference to Egypt, it's it's uh, it's it's many times it's a, a reference uh, to the world, and you know once. Israel left Egypt. They were rescued from their slavery. Uh, They were never meant to go back. And yet, they had a tendency actually throughout their, their, their history of always looking back to Egypt when times got tough. In fact, they started that, right? Literally within days or weeks of leaving Egypt. And here you see about... Oh, this is something like 750 years later, uh, them doing the same thing. So when they, with Moses, they were like, you know, why didn't you let us stay in Egypt? Was it so we could come out here and die in the wilderness? Oh, how we miss the flesh pots, the pots of meat that they had, the leeks and onions. And this is a theme <clears throat> throughout the Old Testament. But it's, as always is the case, a direct application in, in our life, be careful in times of trial and tribulation and discouragement. Oh, how we start ruminating in our minds about an escape plan back to Egypt, back to the world, back to where God saved us from. How typical uh, is uh, I- I- is that. And it's so important uh, that you really sort of cut the cord uh, with the world. So he says again, woe to those who go down to Egypt uh, for help, who rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many. Just a peak of where we're going to be next Sunday morning in James chapter 3. James chapter 3 verse 15 says this, the wisdom of the world is not from above but is earthly, sensual and demonic. The wisdom from the world is earthly, sensual and demonic. Earthly. Again, I was talking this morning uh, about this massive horse that, that I saw in Ireland last week. Just a picture of power, just muscle just packed into this thing. I mean, uh, and, and, you know, man looks at that and draws strength from it. That's earthly wisdom, sensual Actually, and we'll get into this more next Sunday, but it's the root word here in the Greek is, uh, is psychonin, which is where we get psychology. And it, it just also relates to the natural, but it, it, it's what our flesh and our emotions are drawn to. And so oftentimes, we want to make decisions that are emotional sensual based upon our senses and finally demonic you know Satan wants us to go back to Egypt because we go back to Egypt and oh wow will he just flail away at us sift us like wheat when we go back to Egypt but it looks awfully tempting the context here as we've discussed is the Assyrians who were an enemy nation to the north, were uh, coming down and approaching Jerusalem. They were wiping out everything, every nation in their path. And uh, it was, man, when calamity comes into your life, it means the Lord's trying to tell you something. Turn to him. But they weren't, w- they weren't doing that. They were turning to Egypt. Looks tempting. Pharaoh at the time Although they were not as powerful as, they, uh, as he once was, still was a power to be reckoned with. And they went down to Egypt for help. And actually, they wound up paying Egypt loads and loads of money. In a previous chapter, we, we read about at the time as the Assyrians are coming, they, they, this long caravan of donkeys and camels loaded with gold and silver. A complete waste of money. They never uh, Egypt never came to their help. And it, it, it is so much money, sometimes, that we invest in stuff that can't even help us. So much energy, so much of our time invested in things that can't even help us. And so the wisdom of the world, it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Verse 2, it says, Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words. Now that's referring to the Lord. So they're turning to an earthly wisdom, but verse 2, the thought is, well, he also uh, is wise. And will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. Now, Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall and he who is helped will fall down. They will perish Together, For the Lord has spoken to me, verse 4, as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey. When a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he will not be afraid of their voice nor be disturbed by their noise. And so just a picture that they would have been much more familiar with than we were. But when there was a big old lion attacking your flock, it didn't matter how many shepherds you summoned. That lion was not scared of a bunch of puny little humans. And, and, and this is the picture of the lion, the lion of Judah, who is just going to, he's going to be the one to rescue them. He is going to be, also he's going to judge those um, who are trusting in Egypt, but ultimately he's going to be the one to uh, destroy the Assyrian army. Verse 6, return to him. I believe that's the same word for repent. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. God help us when it is said of us that we have deeply revolted against the Lord. The, 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 the sense there is this is just not an emotional decision to turn their backs against the Lord, to trust in Uh, Egypt. This has just gotten down in their heart has completely embraced this rebellion against the Lord. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted for in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold. Sin which your own hands have made for yourselves. Now I think that this is bringing out here a very, very important principle here. In verse seven, it's it's speaking of idolatry. And in the day the Lord disciplines and chastens Israel, they'll throw away the idols and they'll begin to trust in the Lord. Don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters. If you have an idol in your life, though you may be showing up to church each Sunday, though you may be spending some time in the word, though you may be going through certain religious exercises, getting up and and raising your hands uh, to the Lord, if you have an idol in your life, unbeknownst probably to everyone else, In the time of testing, you'll do just what Israel did. You'll turn to man for help. Don't kid yourself that there's not going to be any effect by that idol. What is an idol? Idol is simply something you are preoccupied with to the detriment of your relationship with the Lord Jesus. It can be a relationship. It can be something good. It can be a family. It can be... Uh, uh, it it can be porn on the internet. It can be a career, your job. It it can be uh, sports. And somehow people deceive themselves into thinking that they can hold on to these things or even one thing. And that somehow when things get tough, they're going to trust in the Lord and not in man. No, no. Idols have a way of eating away like a cancer at your faith in the Lord. So the, the time to start um, building up our, our faith is now. Verse 8, then Assyria, shall f- then Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man. And a sword not of mankind shall devour him. So again, this is speaking about what's going to happen to this army that is approaching Israel. Israel's not trusting in the Lord. They're trusting in Egypt. And Isaiah is prophesying, look, return to the Lord because you will see, your eyes will see that this Assyrian army is going to fall by the sword, but it's not going to be a sword of man. It's not going to be by a sword of man. Now, we know from Second Kings chapter 19, verse 35, that God simply sent an angel of the Lord when Assyria, the 185,000 soldiers had surrounded Jerusalem and in a single night killed them verse 8, then Assyria shall fall by a sword not of man. It was a victory that had nothing to do with the power of man. Oh, how often I hear from people that they don't see the hand of the Lord in their lives. But so often the reason is is because they have gone and in their life, if you start walking through the story of their life, they're not trusting in the Lord. They're trusting in the arm of man. They're tuss- uh, trusting in the arm of the flesh. One of the wonderful things about <clears throat> being in Ireland l- last week, you know, I- I'm pretty familiar with, with Ireland. This is my fourth time there, and my previous visits, I stayed much longer than, than a week, uh, at least a couple of them, and man... It just rains there. I mean, it rains and rains and rains. Uh, you know, that's why the island is so, that's why it's the Emerald Island. And one of, the, one of the wonderful things in life is when we get in a situation that there's literally nothing you can do. You know, when the forecast says, Tuesday through Friday, it's going to be raining nonstop and you have an outdoor sports camp, there's nothing you can do. You can't pay off someone to fly up in planes and throw s- stardust inside the clouds or whatever it is that they do. No, that's actually, that's the make rain, right? Um, I, I don't know that anyone has come up with a way to, to, to prevent uh, rain. And uh, it was just incredible because the first day w- the, the forecast was clear and it was clear, but we, we got up the next morning and it was just wretched. I mean... Uh, This just, I hate to say it, typical Irish day, you know, gloomy, clouds everywhere, it was raining. (laughs) It's like, oh, no, you know, but by the time it was 10 o'clock, the the sun was peeking through. By the time it was 11 or 12, the sun had completely parted the skies. And uh, there were a couple days, as Andrew mentioned this morning, where, It was raining everywhere around us, but there was sun right over us. Did we take one of the, I hope we took a picture of that. But trusting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. Verse 9, he shall cross over to his strongholds for fear. In other words, Assyria will flee back to where, from whence they came. And his princes shall be afraid of the banner. Jehovah Nisi, I believe, uh, is God our banner. Jehovah, rather, Lord our banner. Says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Chapter 32, behold, a king will reign in righteousness. And princes will rule with justice. Uh, a man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest a river as rivers of water in a dry place as the shadows of a great rock in a weary land the eyes of those who see will not be dim and the ears of those who hear will listen and also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge And the tongue of the stammerers, meaning someone who stutters, will be ready to speak plainly. The foolish person will no longer be called generous. In other words, the the government official who just prints money to uh, to deal with situations when people say, oh, the government's so generous, that's foolishness and there will be a time where they won't be called uh, generous. Nor the miser said to the bountiful, for the foolish person will speak foolishness, and his heart will work iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied. He will cause the drink of the thirsty to fall. In other words, he's saying there in verses 5 and 6 that the the foolish man uh, will no longer be. Now, these verses 1 through 8 here, Remember the difficulty of reading through Isaiah. You have to sort of parse through where Isaiah is talking about the near future, whether he's talking about the distant future, or whether he's talking about the really, really, really distant future, the near future being something that's about to happen then. Some Bible scholars say this is talking about King Hezekiah, uh, King Hezekiah here, who was in power when the Assyrians uh, were defeated, and 2 Kings chapter 18, 3, 5, and 6 says of Hezekiah, he's a wonderful, wonderful man of God, and said he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah nor any who were before him. That's quite a statement. David reigned before him. Josiah reigned after. Hezekiah was a wonderful, wonderful king. It says again in verse 6 of 2 Kings chapter 18, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, some scholars feel that the near-term fulfillment of... This is really talking about sort of a near-term fulfillment in, um, in Hezekiah that could be the case. I believe supremely this is talking about Jesus Christ. Isaiah talks about the birth of Jesus Christ, the, the anointing of, by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the resurrection. He talks about the re- second return or the, the return of Jesus Christ uh, after the, uh, the tribulation. I believe this is talking... Uh, There may have been indeed a near-time fulfillment in Hezekiah, but I believe it's supremely talking about Jesus and probably talking about the millennial reign, which is when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom at a future date from today. Jesus promised to return. The reason I think that is because some of the things here are simply not going to be fulfilled by a human king. Uh, It it, it, it says, a man will be as a hiding place from the wind. I believe man there should be capitalized. And a cover from the tempest. You know, we, we don't, you know, it could be speaking sort of metaphorically here, but Jesus is our hiding place. He is the cover from the tempest. Um, It says, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. We know that Christ is our rock. But especially verses 3 and 4, these just are not going to be fulfilled by a human being. The eyes of those who see will not be dim, and the the ears of those who hear will listen. And also the heart of the rash, in other words, the people who are just impulsive and they just sort of act foolishly all the days of their life. The heart of the rash will understand knowledge and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. Speaking here of the eyes of the blind seeing, the ears of the deaf hearing, the tongue of the, the dumb person who cannot speak speaking, fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, specifically there. So Isaiah, as he many times does when he is speaking to a people who are in great suffering, is, I believe, speaking um, of the Messiah to come. Again, a shift in verse 9 of Isaiah. This is, again, one of the difficult things um, of reading through Isaiah is he he, he shifts sometimes from one moment to the next. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In a year and some days, you will be troubled, you complacent women. For the vintage will fail or, or yeah will uh will fail the gathering will not come, tremble, you women who are at ease, be troubled, you complacent ones, strip yourselves, make yourself bare, gird sackcloth on your waist, people shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, uh, for the fruitful vine on the land of my people will come up thorns and briars, yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city. Because the palaces will be forsaken, the the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. So this appears to have been a prophecy of... Again, the Assyrians are approaching. What happened initially, um, if you remember, we've, see, we've we've looked at the map several times. Northern Israel had split off. The ten tribes in the north had been uh, wiped out. Judah was in the south. And the women in Judah, in the people of Judah just sort of lived out complacently, saying, oh, that's not going to happen to us. That terrible thing uh, that is happening is not going to happen to us. And they were just complacent in their sin. There's, there's just nothing as distressing as watching a nation which is just feeding off the blessing rather than using the blessing to do the will of God. And here you have this picture of just this, the, the women of the country who are just complacent, complacent to sort of live this life of, of comfort. And, you know, we should always be spending our comforts on the Lord. And as Isaiah is say, uh, saying here, it says in verse 10, a year and some days, look, over a year from now, you you're going to you're going to get wiped out because what happened is the Assyrians came through Judah they basically wiped out everything as it says the palaces here the cities were abandoned everything except for Jerusalem Jerusalem was the only thing that was spared the calamity and so here is a specific prophecy uh made here and it says there's just going to be calamity until the spirit is poured upon us from on high. That word poured is an interesting word if you're into word studies, the Hebrew word. Often, if not most of the time, it's translated emptied. It's this, it's this picture of, I don't know, the, the spirit maybe in a, a, a very large jar and it's just being emptied in other words the fullness of god is just going to pour out over the land and you know brothers and sisters we better come to the realization if we haven't already that that is the only solution for our country just reading before i came over here and 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 i don't want to And and I know some people get tired of this and and sort of preachers uh, getting in their pulpit. And and I I don't want to single out this sin, but what's going on now in this nation by homosexual activists, the governor of California just signed a bill requiring that history teachers in public schools teach their class about the contributions... Of, uh, of homosexuals, gays, lesbians, bisexuals have made in the history of the United States of America. That is such an aggressive approach signed into law, the most populous state uh, of this country. Again, not singling out the sin because homosexuality, the Bible says, is a sin. And Praise the Lord, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's, it's one that we can be saved from and uh, we can overcome by faith and the washing of the, the, the Spirit of the Lord. But if we haven't learned by now that revival is the only answer, verse 15, until all this calamity is going to come upon you, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high you know i we uh, uh, are are gathering for prayer on wednesday mornings and um, uh, praying for revival i think that should be our focus praying for revival in the land that the spirit will be emptied emptied out so the fullness of god will come upon us because the way we're going, judgment is, is going to come. And it says in verse 15: and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be uh, peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Can we talk just for a second about real revival? You know, I, I, I just read over the past 20 years, I became a Christian uh, in 19, or started walking with the Lord in 1988, made a commitment a couple years before that to the Lord, but it took a while before I embraced Jesus fully and started walking with him. Since that time, you know, I've heard stories of, uh, of revivals around the country But as you look at what is going on in many instances, what you don't see is the very thing verse 17 says happens when the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. What is that? The effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance forever. What I do see is a lot of people trying to draw attention to themselves in in the American United States style revival. That's what I do see. Come look at us and, and what is going on. And I don't see that wonderful, wonderful work of repentance. Revival without repentance is not a revival. <laughs> who wants that kind of revival? Any, any of you who have been saved from the world know that repentance is the best gift that God gives us when we're saved. To, to clean our lives of all the ugliness and the gunk. Don't try to tell me there's a revival just because a church has filled up with ten thousand people. When there, it is not accompanied by people crying out to the Lord. When we were in Haiti last year, we were there the same time after the earthquake, where some woman in New York went to the president of Haiti and said, "If you don't, uh, if you don't declare a three-day fast and revival time." there's going to be a worse thing, a worse earthquake is going to happen. And, and you know, the president was pressured into doing it. And, and so when we were there, the people were marching through the streets on the day of fasting. And you know something? It was so obvious it wasn't a revival. You know why? They were all dancing in the streets, happy, you know. Uh, uh, they were sort of happy, playing around and laughing. That's not what a revival looks like. <laughs> You know, and, and I'm not picking on Haiti. I've already picked on the United States. And, and I tell you, we, we have forms of evil they, they don't have down there. But they have other forms of evil we don't have. And, and you didn't see that, that, that repentance, that crying out to the Lord, the weeping that has accompanied every revival of the last every true revival of the last 400 years the verse 17 the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever my people will dwell in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places and uh, psalm 37 we had a devotional one night in ireland and we were just talking, Is this wonderful verse in, uh, in Psalm th- 37, is it? Verse 2, I think, which says, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Just dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Don't be calling all kinds of attention to yourself. Don't say, oh, I'm just going to do this great thing and that great thing. And, 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 and you know, the, the best Evidence of, uh, of repentance is a meekness, a poor poverty of spirit, a, 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 a quietness and assurance. And a, a, and a people just dwelling in peaceful uh, habitation and secure dwellings. I think it was, it's Peter in the New Testament who tells the people, look, you know, when you're living in the world, just be quiet and faithful and serve, serve the Lord. So that the, the governing authorities will look at you, and, and though they may accuse you of evil works, they will praise God in the day of visitation. Verse 20 Blessed are you who sow beside all waters. I just love that verse. I mean, the the the, the concept of sowing our seed and and what's sowing This is the ultimate, this is trusting the Lord, right? When you sow your seed and you're relying on God for the seed to sprout up and the fruit. Blessed are those who sow seed beside all waters, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. Chapter 33, this is back to a judgment, a prophecy of judgment against Assyria. Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered, and who deal treacherously, though they have not dealt treacherously with you. When you cease plundering, you will be plundered. When you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. Very simple uh, concept in the Bible. Galatians, is it chapter 5? If whatsoever a man sows, he will reap. And that goes not only for people in the church that goes for anybody it's just a law uh, a governing law God wrote it into his creation verse 2 O Lord be gracious to us we have waited for you so this goes from verse 1 speaking about the future judgment of Of, of Assyria to in verses 2 through 4 it's it's talking about the people of God who actually did repent and there were those who didn't trust in Egypt including the king Ezekiah if he was trusting in Egypt he stopped doing it and he turned to the Lord and this is Isaiah prophetically recording their prayer in other words Before the prayer was ever uttered, he's saying, this is what those of you who repent are going to be praying. O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. That word, waiting on God, used about 50 or 60 times in the Old Testament. We wait on the salvation of the Lord. Be their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. Brothers and sisters, don't think you're going to be uttering this prayer if you're holding on to an idol. You're not going to be uttering this prayer in the time of testing and trial. You're going to be trusting in the arm of man. You're going to, if not just returning to Egypt, the sin uh, in uh, Egypt. Verse 3, at the noise of the tumult. I always love that word, tumult. Tumult one of those words I just like saying, tumult. The people shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nations shall be scattered. And that is indeed what happened. When Assyria came, by the way, I believe they also had mercenaries from other nations. So the nations scattered when the Lord lifted himself up against them. verse 4 and your plunder shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar as the running to and fro of locusts so locusts and caterpillars used to ravage the land and so the picture here is of the invading army the Assyrians they were like locusts they were like caterpillars and it says all those caterpillars and locusts will be gathered and he shall run upon them he'll trample them verse 5 the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be, will be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, this is, again, at least near term fulfillment, it is talking about the reign of, of, of Hezekiah, in which there was a lot of prosperity in which wisdom uh, and knowledge provided stability to the land. But I, you know, I I, I just, I love that last part of the verse there. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. You want to bless the Lord? Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Years, I didn't know what that meant. What does that mean to bless the Lord? I thought He blesses us. You bless the Lord by fearing Him. This says, The fear of the Lord is His treasure. And, and as I've just, you know, taught from up here many times, this is not talking about the kind of fear that, for example, a child may have of an, an abusive parent. This is the kind of fear that a child has of a very loving parent. They love me so much, I know if I climb out of the window after I go to bed tonight and run to my friend's house, they're going to punish me. A, 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 a healthy fear of the Lord. He, he, the Bible says he spoke. And the world was created. He commanded, Psalm 148, and, the, and they were created, the psalm says. And it's completely consistent with his gentleness. I've shared this with you before, but uh, when, I was at, um, when I was at work in the corporate world, I had a boss who, I never heard this guy raise his voice or get angry, ever, even once. It was just amazing and really convicting to me, by the way, <laughs> to have someone with that much control um, over. He he never got mad. He never got angry. He never got angry with me ever. And it wasn't just because I was performing. <laughs> it wasn't because just I was performing real well. It was this was he was really cool in a very, you know, high pressure uh, environment. But, you know, I had a healthy fear of this guy. Why? Well, because, you know, if I say, oh, he's uh, this guy, he, he, he is, his name was Rich. If Rich, if I, if I just go in there and show up to work an hour uh, every day, oh, he'll be, he'll, really gently, he'll tell me I'm fired. <laughs> you know? And so I had a fear of him, but it was a healthy fear. And he was a human boss. I mean, you can imagine the Lord His judgments are righteous altogether when he is pouring out in the book of Revelation his judgment over all the earth. The angels, it says, in the tribulation period, the angels are in heaven actually praising him, saying his his judgments are righteous altogether. We need to have a very healthy fear of the Lord, which is utterly and totally consistent with a deep, deep love. For the Lord. It says there, the fear of the Lord is His treasure. He, he, don't you want to be a treasure to the Lord? I do. So I don't want to. I, I I don't want to treat the Lord lightly. He's the Lord. <laughs> you know, I I always think of that. When I hear about the fear of the Lord, John MacArthur, years and years ago, I I heard him tell about some guy after the service, and oh man, this guy must not have known John MacArthur. I would never want to say this to John MacArthur. He was walking out, he was shaking hands after the service, and some guy came up to him, oh yeah, I saw the Lord this morning. Oh really? He goes, oh yeah, where'd you see him? Oh yeah, I was shaving, and as I was shaving, I saw him in the mirror. (laughs) Oh, I was shaving. He just appeared in the mirror. And John MacArthur said, well, can I ask you, did you fall prostrate on the ground and worship him? And yeah, I love that. Or did you, oh, yeah, I'm just shaving. Oh, hey, Lord, yeah, hey, cool, cool. Hey, did I get, get the, all the whiskers right there, Lord? You know, and, and I love that response because what did Isaiah say in, in, in chapter 6? Woe is me, I am an unclean. When he saw it, when he came into the presence of the Lord, woe is me. For I am an unclean man in the, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Verse 7. Surely they're valiant ones, speaking of the Assyrian heroes, who had marched and parade throughout the streets and, 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 and this type of thing. They shall cry outside. Their ambassadors the peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lay waste. The travelling man ceases. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is shamed and shrivelled. Sharon is like a wilderness. Bashan and Carmel shall shake off their fruits. And the Lord will say, "Now I will arise," says the Lord. "I now I will be exalted. Now I will." lift myself up the bible says first peter chapter 5 god opposes the proud but the humble he will exalt and how does he exalt the humble supremely by himself being humbled and being exalted in their midst in the midst of the humble you shall conceive chafe. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you, and the people shall be like the burning of lime, like thorns cut up. They shall be burned uh, in the fire. Hear, you who are far off who, w- what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might, for sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. You know, after 9-11... Wow, the church has filled up for a, uh, a while. The hypocrites became fearful and they ran back. Now, all of us are hypocrites apart from Christ. But I tell you, when they, when they show up for six months and then leave, their heart hasn't changed. The Bible says when judgment comes, fear will grip the heart of the wicked. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? This is the wicked speaking. Who among us shall dwell with an everlasting burning? This could very well be referring to the, the seals that are poured out in the book of Revelation. During the time of tribulation, Isaiah repeatedly does refer to that, sort of a distant prophecy. And verse 15 may be talking about those saved In the tribulation period, it says, He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppression, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. You know, what have we been speaking about in the book of James? Don't be just a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. For faith without works is dead. And I love this list of what a doer of the word does here. They despise, verse 15, the gain of oppression. They despise he who gestures with his hands refusing bribes. Who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. So just, you know... I hope we have not been so dehumanized that when we hear of the bloodshed that happens in the womb of a million women every year, I hope we have not been so dehumanized that sometimes we just want to plug our ears or, or you know, there's, 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 there's war going on uh in the world that is it's 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 violence and 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 even when it's just the violence i hope we haven't uh, the violence that happens i hope we haven't become so dehumanized that sometimes we don't just want to stop up our ears from hearing a blood shed and shutting our eyes from seeing evil he who dwells on high his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. That's speaking of the righteous. The Bible does say during the time of tribulation, there will be those who come to the Lord and who will be preserved by the Lord. And the, one of the reasons I believe that verses 15, uh, or uh, actually probably verses Ten through 16 is talking about the tribulation period which Jesus says will come right prior to his return is because of verse 17 which appears to be speaking of the millennial reign where Jesus Christ is going to reign. It says your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Now this is a prophecy, again, to those who are going through tremendous tribulation, where whether it's a near-term fulfillment, whether it's something that happened during the time of Isaiah, or it's, the, it's just spoken to uh, the people who are actually b- saved and living through the, uh, the tribulation period. It says, take hope, your eyes will see the king and his beauty. And, and you know, this can be an encouragement to us. The best thing about heaven will be seeing with our very own eyes the king in his beauty, Jesus Christ in his beauty. Oh man, I, I remember as being a, a, a young Christian, that song, I bowed to my knees and cried holy. The first time I heard that it was the Brooklyn Tabernacle singing it. Man, the first couple of times I was just weeping. It's, you know, in the song he's talking about uh this guy who 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 wrote the song, he's and, and the ones who sing the song, he's talking about the angels are showing them Timothy and Moses and the apostle Peter and finally he just says, "Wait a second. I want to see Jesus." <laughs> and uh if you know, is it Michael English? If you know just how he just belts out the tenor there. I want to see Jesus. <laughs> anyway, you kind of have to hear the song, but um, but but the but, but the, it, it, there's a great build-up to that because it's like okay, it's all it's all great. Even seeing our relatives uh, who have gone on to be with the Lord, wonderful, wonderful thing. But no comparison to seeing the king in his beauty. For now we see in a mirror dimly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also am known. Now those in the time that Paul wrote that, mirrors were not as mirrors were today, so maybe the best thing that we can can then the mirrors were sort of wow is that really me sort of deal and kind of like now we see in a mirror dimly like if if a room is dark and you're trying to look in the mirror you see the sort of the shadow of your face that's how much we've experienced the Lord in this life we see wonderful glimpses of the Lord the Lord gives us by His grace just a glimpse of uh, of heaven here but. You know, when we get to heaven, the image will be clear. We will see Jesus with perfect clarity, with perfect clarity. Verse 18, your heart will meditate, rather the end of verse 17, they will see the land that is very far off. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts his towers? You will, s- uh, in other words, all these people will no longer be an issue. The people who trust in man, the people who trust in horses, who trust in chariots, who trust in, in human solutions, you will not see a fierce people. In other words, uh, near-term fulfillment: the the Syrians will have been having been wiped out. There, verse twenty. Look upon Zion. The city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. No one, not one of its stakes will ever be removed, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there, the majestic Lord will be for us. So Jesus is going to reign from Jerusalem. A place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley with oars will sail, nor majestic ships pass by. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our law, uh, lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Your tackle is loose. They should uh, could not strengthen their mass. They could not spread the sail. So the picture there in, in, in those few verses is that you know, Israel never has had a major uh, a major river go through it. And the strength of many cities is their river. But in the millennial reign, Jesus will be our river, our judge, our king. So in verse 23, he's talking about tackle. Any people who fish know about tackle. That's just the lures and the bait you use to catch fish. Um, so there's not going to be real rivers there with fishermen and, this t- and, and the prosperity that the fishing boats bring in. It's going to be the Lord. It's going to be the Lord. Verse 24, finally, in the it will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. And supremely, just as when Jesus raised the paralytic and before he did so if you remember he said your sins are forgiven to the paralytic and the rabbis and the scribes were outraged that he would ever say such a thing and he turns to them and says just so you know that it's, this is my paraphrase, much harder and a much greater miracle to forgive sins than to raise someone f- who is paralyzed and then he turned to the paralytic and said rise in the paralytic um, rose you know we can be paralyzed and go to hell for all eternity what is a much bigger issue is the forgiveness of sins and so look The news is great that there will be prosperity in your land. The news is great that there are not going to be people afflicting you. You won't be hungry anymore. You won't have illnesses. But supremely, you will be blessed by the fact that your iniquity will be forgiven. Your iniquity will be forgiven which is the one thing, of course, that's required for us, for heaven, for us to have an everlasting relationship with Jesus. Okay, well, um, we end our Sunday night services. We'll pick up next week in uh, chapter 34. We end our Sunday night services with uh, prayer. Thank you, Pastor Scott. And uh, this,